Good evening, church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Colin, the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ. And this is Dan Spade. He's one of our elders. And here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at www.churchvictoria.com. This is our Wednesday evening conversation through the law and the prophets where we open up the Old Testament, we move through the narrative and the text, and we see how it impacts us today as the church and how it how that text connects to Jesus. Um, if you're listening Listening to this on the Heart and Heads podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you have the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. And if you're watching this on Facebook, make sure to like and share. That really helps us out. And make sure to comment down below. Um, if this ministry has blessed you or you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, I want, want to encourage you to head over to that website. At the top of the page, we have a donate button that uh, take, will take you to PayPal, and you can partner with us as we seek to teach and preach the gospel. Uh, we're going to pray and get into the lesson. Again, church, thank you so much for joining us. All right, you ready to go? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here. Thank you for this for this text. Thank you for the class. Thank you for our for our audience. We pray, Father, that something is said today that will touch someone's life, someone's heart, that will learn and will grow, and that will draw closer to you because of what's done today. And we thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're moving out of Leviticus 16. When we're rolling right along. We're rolling right along. We're, right we're in the middle, middle of yep. Leviticus. We're on the yep. other end. We're on the other yep. end now. Yeah. Um, so as we've said before, you know, Leviticus, up until the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, up until they re-enter the presence of God, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is about getting into that presence. Yes. After Leviticus 16, we're going to start seeing how do we maintain that presence? How do we mm -hmm. stay in that presence? Mm -hmm. How do we keep holiness, yep. right? Yeah. First is about forgiveness, and then it's about maintaining holiness. And so we wanted to look at some stuff in Leviticus chapter 17. Um, and so, uh, and I'm going to just start at the top of the chapter. Okay. All right. So this is uh, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp, or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting, to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their Israelite, uh, from, they must be cut off from their people. People. Well, wow, I'm missing a, a word there for some reason. Uh, <coughs> you pick it up. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in, in open fields. They must bring them to the high priest or to the priest, that is to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them at the fellowship off, as fellowship offerings. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols uh, to whom they prostitute themselves. That is to be the lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. I want to, I want to point something out. Notice, notice what happens if you go and you sacrifice anywhere other than the tent of meeting. Mm -hmm. You get cut off from your people, right? Yeah. What did God command? Um, what did God command Gideon to do? I don't remember. You remember? He comes remember. to Gideon and he says, "Hey, hail, mighty warrior!" And Gideon's oh, yeah. like. Who, yeah. who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he commands him, go up there and tear down that altar to to Baal, to Asheroth. Go down, go up there and tell the tear down the Asheroth altar and offer sacrifices to me. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. I thought God just said if you, you do that, 
you're going to be cut off from your but, people. But he was doing it in front of God. So it's, it's interesting, this dynamic. Because we're going to see this. You're going to see things all throughout. And I wanted to point this out. You're going to see things throughout the law that when you start when you start paying attention to what goes on in the rest of Israelite history, they went way off the reservation. Yeah. They went way, they didn't keep any of this stuff. Yeah. And that's something that we really need to keep in mind. Yeah. God is explaining to them like, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. And almost immediately, the Israelites didn't do any of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as, I would say that, I mean, technically, when we look in the New Testament, the evidence is, that is brought up is even while they were with Joshua, they still had their idols. Remember what Joshua tells them in the book of Joshua. I mean, we'll get there eventually, but remember what he tells him. He says, put away your idols. Choose for yourself this day who yeah. you're going to serve. I mean, they were still struggling with idolatry and they're going to struggle with it all the way. So I wanted to point this out because it's going to be a theme. Yeah. As we get into the rest mm. of the histories, we're going to be like, remember remember when God told them well, to do this? I call what it is. I think it, it always points us back to what we did last week. You know, when, when we looked at Ezekiel 36 and God said, I'm not saving you because of you. Yeah. If I save you because of you, I'm never going to save you. Yeah. I'm saving you because I'm holy. I'm saving you to, to glorify my name so that people will know that I did this. That's right. So it's not about us. It never has been. And it not it isn't today. It's not about us. It's about him being so holy and so good that he's willing to save us. In that's, spite of ourselves. That's, and that's an incredibly important perspective. Paul says that f- the offering of forgiveness, redemption, and atonement were, were the necessary acts of a righteous God. I think mm-hmm. Romans 4 or 5. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, that's an incredibly important perspective to hold on to. That it's, it, it's true that it's not about me, but why does God do it? Because he is righteous, he is holy, and it's right. just. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. And he says, then everyone will know that I did it. Yeah. That it was me that did it. You know, and I think that's important for us to remember that he's going to put a lot of rules and regulations knowing they're not going to be obedient, yeah. knowing they're not going to do this, knowing that, that in, but in, a, in, a, in some kind of sense, they will, it will draw them to him. And when Gideon sacrifices, he sacrifices before the Lord. He does. He absolutely does. And that's what he's trying to get them to do is quit sacrificing in front of your idols. Sacrifice to me. That's right. In front of me. And for them in front of in front of him would have been at the tabernacle. That's at right. the tent. At the at with the priest. But if they made an altar, David made altars all over the place. Abraham made altars all over the place. You know, to but they were doing it in front of God. You know, it's like I can worship together as a group. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I can worship everywhere. I can't substitute worship that God has called me to. I can't substitute that and say, well, I don't have to worship with the group. I right. Yeah. But if I'm in the in, if I'm hunting on a Friday and I'm in the in the woods and I'm and I'm and I can I can it can be a worshipful experience for me. Absolutely. And offer my sacrifice of my praise to him because I'm in front of God. You know, and and I, and I can feel that. Well, yeah, we looked at that. We looked at how much we're in front of God, especially mm-hmm. here in the New Covenant last week. We yep. looked at the fact that, you know, hey, we got the Spirit of God dwelling within That's us. That's right. You yep. know, we have the right to enter into his throne room. And so if you're out in the woods and you are entering into his throne room, offering up praise. Absolutely. That's abs- absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a very important dichotomy. Of course, that yep. doesn't mean that or and it doesn't discount the importance of the assembly mm-hmm. or anything. No, else. Absolutely we're not. Not, that's not where absolutely we're going not. with this. It is absolutely. But essential. sometimes people do that. They do. Sometimes they take and say, "Well, then I don't have to go to worship. Right? I can go camping at the park and be a, and be at the park, and I can be on the boat on the lake." Right. So understand that when you re- are when you are repeatedly choosing 
to reject the assembly of the saints, reject the people of God. And that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. When you choose other things over and over and over again, you know, by the time this comes out, you're going to have already preached your, your sermon, you know, Hey, you're, you're, are you really a disciple here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an important concept yeah. to understand. Yeah. Very yeah. important. And can you pick it up in verse eight? Yes, I can pick it up. Yeah. My, it's one, one, one catch of using a Bible program on a, on a software is sometimes it gets a little janky. And I was like, I'm missing words here. This isn't right. Mine don't do that. Yeah, yours doesn't do that. You know, I, My program maybe, is always perfect. Maybe I need to go back to version 1.0. <laughs> what do you think? All right. Uh, so verse 8, right? Yeah. Say to them, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. And how in the world could they think that God didn't care what about foreigners? He's He's got provision there all throughout his law. He does. Mm -hmm. But I'm just one pointed out. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of provisions for people, for yeah. foreigners dwelling among them. It amazes me that they got so, so caught up in the, in the, in the venom and the hatred for for the early early Christians for teaching to the Gentiles yeah. when God had made provision for them for all along. I mean, go back and read Acts chapter 10 with Peter and Cornelius. Oh yeah. my goodness. He, I mean, he had to have a visitation from, from a God. He had to have vision, a vision from God, right? Just to even go with them. Yeah. Then he goes with them and he's got to take other people with him to, to help yeah. testify. Yeah. Then he's still got to explain his actions later. And it's not the last time. No. He explains himself in uh, in Acts chapter 11 and he explains himself again in Acts chapter 15. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. And then according to Paul, he still struggled with it yeah. when he got up into Antioch. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 unreal, but that's what racism does. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. It's racism. Yeah. It's ugly. You know, it's it's vilification of the other, whoever that other happens to be. And, and no matter what it is. And no matter what it is. And you see God's response to this is his His response to the other is to sacrifice himself for mm. the other, to love the other. Yeah. And that's what really what we're yeah. called to do as well. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to point that out. Verse 10, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing <laughs> among them who eats blood. This is new. And I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. I think we, we stop here and because this is a scientific proof that God knew way before we did what was what was uh, true and what wasn't true. Okay. We figured out in the 1800s or so that there is a life code in blood. Mm -hmm. Okay. Somewhere about this was probably written, what, two, three thousand years before, before Jesus comes on the scene. Um. So, yeah, it was probably written maybe around. Uh. Uh, you know, fifteen hundred BCE, somewhere, somewhere in there. Okay, somewhere in there. Okay, so fifteen. So let's say thirty five hundred years, thirty four hundred years, thirty three hundred years before we figured out, before we figured out, right, that there was something very unique and very special about blood in mm -hmm. a human, in a body, in a animal body or a human body. That's right. You know, God, God help us. They were trying to, they were trying to save George Washington's life, and they, and they cut him and and bloodlet him, try to save his life. Right. Probably help kill him. Yeah. Probably. You know, and, and so here it says, for the life of creatures in the blood. If they had just looked at the book, they would have known a long time ago that, wait a minute, there's something very special about blood. We know now there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of DNA and all kinds of, all this stuff that they didn't know anything about, even right. in the 1800s. But in the 1800s, they figured out, wait a minute, there is something very special about blood. So we, you know, working, working on the ambulance, talk about the specialness of blood, right? Working on the ambulance, you have a patient who's sitting in front of you and they're they're gasping they're trying to trying to get more air 
and you're sitting there and you're checking them out and you're looking in their airway there's nothing there's nothing obstructing the airway right they're they're just it's like they're trying to pull in more air and more air and more air and you're thinking my gosh what's wrong what's wrong with their lungs or what's wrong nothing it's the blood mm-hmm. because if they if they don't have enough iron in their blood the oxygen molecule will not bind to that iron molecule. That's how that's how oxygen is moved throughout our body. And oxygen is necessary for feeding all of our body. It's it's absolutely essential to feed ourselves for mm-hmm. what's called cellular respiration. Oxygen um, and sugar combine to make ATP or energy within the cell. And so without that oxygen, you're in big trouble. Your cells are in huge trouble. And so it's really interesting to watch somebody who is anemic anemic either from a lack of iron or lack whatever gasping because it's like they can't get enough air so blood is you're absolutely right it's 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 essential to the life god was i mean god knew what he was talking about because he made everybody but it's absolutely true just how important blood is and it would seem that god knew that well, I think long Cole, when you start looking at it and start then you start to see uh, you start to talk to you know there's scientists out there that believe that that we just we were created from from a, a speck of nothing into this what we have now and it and when you look at the at the complexity of a human body, mm-hmm. just the complexity of of just various parts of the body. Here is talking about blood, how complex the body is. I didn't even know that oxygen and iron had to. I didn't know that until just now. You know that that that's how it flows through and oxygenates and and that's how it feeds. You know, I'm gonna go home after a while. Of course, it's in the morning when we're recording this. I'm gonna go eat breakfast. I haven't eaten breakfast yet. I'm gonna feed myself to 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 make sure that I'm strong enough so I can keep on going. And the blood has to, it has to feed the body. I asked an engineer one time, we were talking about this very thing about evolution of Christianity and evidence and stuff like that. And I, I asked an engineer one time, I said, you don't, you don't believe in God. And he said, no, you know, it's, it's more likely we evolved. And I said, do you understand the, the probabilities involved with the idea of macroevolution? And I want to I want to make sure I distinguish this because we know microevolution occurs. Microevolution is is what they used to call adaptation. It's changes from the what genetically already genetically programmed changes, right? So within your genetic code, there are changes that can occur within populations, and we we know this happens. It happens with bacteria that become resistant to antibiotics and things of mm-hmm. that nature. Macroevolution is a totally different thing. Macroevolution is is what you would classically think of as evolution. The idea that you know, this microphone turns into this cup. Yeah. And and as ludicrous as that example might be, if you actually look at the fossils, the actual fossils that they say, well, this creature turned into this, you're talking about, you know, skulls the size, animals with skulls the size, size of this table turn into rodents the size of this cup. It's that ludicrous, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I talked to this engineer and I said, look, this is the probability, okay? <laughs> I said, it's like if you took a watch, and you took apart a watch and you put it in a jar and you shook that jar, how long would it take for that watch to put itself back together again? And he was like, I mean, it's like never. Like he, he understood, you know, the math behind that, the, 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 the probability of that happening. While it's not nothing, it's not zero, it's, it, I mean, it's infinitesimal. And uh, he said, and uh, and I said, well, that's that's the same on an order of magnitude. That I mean, the human body is a billion times more complex than that watch. The human body is a billion times more complex than any computer program, than any any software, than in anything. Mm-hmm. With trillions and trillions of lines of code in mm-hmm. each cell. Okay, each cell. Yeah. And uh, now what we're seeing is computer programmers who who have 
you know, advanced education in, in computer programming and coding and things like that are coming out and saying the idea that this all just fell fell together, it, the chance that this just fell together is like if you if you had a, a thousand monkeys in a room, right, typing on key on typing on a keyboard, right, and that eventually they produced the Britan the Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, it's it's nonsense. It's yeah. so un the 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 statistics, they're not the statistics, the probabilities behind it are just, it's just ridiculous. It's yeah. ludicrous. And if it wasn't for people's hatred of God and hatred for Christ mm -hmm. and hatred for what both of those things mean, that there is in fact a God and his son is Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for a heavy bias in the sciences, evolution would have been laughed out of mainstream institutions a long time ago. Well, and when you look at a verse like this, if you're a person that is, is hungry for truth, and you're hungry to I want evidence. Right. Give me evidence. And you're you're and you're receptive to evidence. Then you could read a verse like this where it says the life of creatures in the blood and realize what historically has happened. Yeah. What we have historically figured out. You know, when you when you look at at a, at Isaiah and it says God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Mm -hmm. And we know when that was written and when we actually figured that out that there was a circle of earth. Earth was actually not a, I mean, it's not completely a circle, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not flat. It's right. not a, it's not a, it's not a cube. Right. And, and to know that God knew that, you know, 2,500 years before we figured it out, this is, this is a very powerful verse. Sure. Yeah. Not only for that, but for what it says next. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. That's right. He said, I've given you this blood. And we think, well, why did God sacrifice animals? What about the animal? It was about the blood. Yeah. It was about the blood. Because when he took the blood, he took the life. Well, and he's, again, these are things, these are shadows of things to come. These are, yes. God, is, yes. God is foreshadowing what he is going to yes, do in absolutely. Christ. What he's really going to do through himself. Well, and if you look, if you look at the book of Romans, look at Romans chapter 3. Uh, let me get there. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Well, 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. So what did God do? Yeah. God took his blood, which took his life. Yeah. You know, he had to give his life. That's why John the Baptist called him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, we're going to go make atonement. To be received by faith. Yes. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we have no evidence, no proof of Jesus, of his work, of God, of all those things. No, absolutely not. The scriptures absolutely disagree with that. God says, I have made him, I've made it known. There is an abundant evidence in Romans chapter one, abundant evidence. It's been clear through creation that mm. I exist. Yeah. Not only that, but Jesus, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is an attested, historically attested to person. Josephus wrote about him. Tacitus wrote about him. We have all the writings of the early church outside of the scriptures. All of these things help confirm not only who Jesus was, but the claims that he made. Mm -hmm. You know, it's again, only through deep hatred and bias of God and his son. Mm -hmm. And what all that means that historians have rejected this evidence. And I believe the working of Satan. I think Satan has well, clouded the yeah. minds and, and darkened the understanding. It's what Ephesians chapter four says. Yeah. You know, where the, where the lost are darkened and clouded. Absolutely. They don't, they don't see. And he's used that. He's used their bias and their their distrust, their lack of understanding. He's used yeah. that 
and just and just compounded it, made it more. So it's not it's not when he's saying that we are <laughs> receiving this by faith, he's not saying we have to receive it without evidence. Rather, it's because of the evidence that I have faith in what God is doing through yep. this. Yep. That's the important thing mm -hmm. that we need to grab onto here. Yep. Paul says that he has provided evidence to everyone. If you, and he said this at the Areopagus in the city of Athens. <laughs> when debating uh, the, the Gentile philosophers in the mm -hmm. city of Athens, he said, and God has proven this. He has demonstrated this is going to happen through with, the, with the evidence that he has provided in the resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely. So, it's not a question of whether or not these things are have evidence or I have to believe this without any evidence. It's not true. God has provided plenty of evidence. And based on that evidence, we are to have faith that God has, through the blood of his son, forgiven us of sins. You know, when, I want to take you to Hebrews for a minute. Sure. I mean, there's a whole section here. We don't have time to read the whole section. But in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, it really starts in verse 11. Uh, and there's a whole there's a whole thing about the about the blood of Christ. Right. Okay? But if you go to the last verse, verse 22, it says, "In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness." So we look at the idea of atonement and forgiveness, which is basically the same thing. Right. Make atonement means to to make a, to make a cover for or to, or to cover it over or to take it away. And forgiveness is God saying, I'm going to forgive your sins. But the only way that happens is there has to be a shedding of blood. In in the Old Testament, he said, he mapped it out. He said, I want you to take a, a bull and a goat and a sheep or whatever. A, a human. And then you're going to have to have one, one goat as a scapegoat, put the sins on. So he's got, he's got all kinds of animals that have to die. Yeah. And then, but in the New Testament... He says, now that, that that didn't, because he tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. Right. Only, it can only cover it. It can only, like here he says in Leviticus 17, it only can make atonement for it. It can only cover it, cover it over. And then he has to cover it again and again and again. Jesus can, uh, Jesus' blood can actually take it away. And that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. It is. It and, is. And to know that in this little bitty section, this little bit section, God proves that he exists, Jesus exists, and forgiveness exists. All and you know, time. this has been God's intention since the beginning. It's Absolutely. not like he came upon Abraham and Ur and went, oh, I've got an idea. No, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, mm -hmm. as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, now the penalty for eating from the, the tree of knowledge, basically the penalty for, for rebelling against God and choosing to rule without him, right? Choosing your own wisdom. That's what they did here. Mm -hmm. The penalty for that is death. Yeah. That's what God said. Yeah. You're going you're to rule without me. You're going to spurn me. Penalty is death, right? Yeah. But that's not what he. That's not what happens. Adam and Eve don't die, and no. it's not that they were going to die some spiritual death later down the road. The idea, the idea that God gave Adam was the day you eat of this, you're going to die. So why didn't they die? Because God made atonement for him then. Look at Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-one. This is after he curses everyone. Uh, he curses the snake. And promises redemption in the Christ in Genesis chapter 3.15. Then he lays down the curse for Adam and he lays down the curse for Eve. But then in verse 21 it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Well, where do you get skin? Do you just find skin hanging in trees in the woods when you go? No. I don't know how hunting works. I've never been hunting. Do you go out there and you just no. you find skin no. just laying around? Well, you find it. It may be laying around. But it's, but it's got something inside of it. It got something inside it's of it, right? breathing and looking and watching for you. Yeah, you got to do something about that. Yeah. So yeah. with... You got to put a hole in it. With sin, mm -hmm. right, came the first death. And instead of God taking that death from the perpetrators, 
he forgave the perpetrators. He treat he did not do to them as they deserved, right? Yeah. Kills the animal, takes the blood in payment for them, uses it as atonement all the way back here in it's Genesis chapter three. It's called mercy. That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely right. And so God is showing all the way back here. Now we'll see, we and we've already covered Genesis, so we've seen all throughout where Abram went or Abraham went and he made offerings and he laid, you know, that's that was the whole thing with Isaac, right? Yeah. And Yahweh, 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 Yira with the Lord shall provide, right? Mm -hmm. You know, where's the, uh, where's the offering, right, dad? Where's the offering? And he's like, oh, the Lord's going to provide it, son. <laughs> yeah. So it's, we see it even back then that yeah. this was God's intention all the way mm -hmm. to make this atonement, to make this covering for us, to forgive us and to bring us back into his presence. It's really cool. It's all throughout the narrative here, yeah. all throughout the narrative. All right. So. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, this is in Leviticus chapter 17. Therefore, I say, say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. It's, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I've got a family member who refuses to eat uh, medium, medium rare, that type of steak because of this, this prohibition. Well, this one and in Acts chapter 15. Is that what this is talking no, about? No. So what is this talking about? No, this is, you know, this is... Uh... Um, it's not about whether you eat raw meat or rare meat or, I mean, rare meat or anything like that. It's, this is a, this is a, the, the, they would, they would do the, some of the, some of the, uh, uh, heathen nations would, they would actually drink the blood yeah. of animals. And he told them, he said, don't, you don't do that. To get their power. To get their power. Yeah. And he said, no, don't do this. That's not what you do because the life is in the blood. I'm taking the life to give life. Right. And he said, you don't take the, take the life and take the blood to, uh, to, uh, uh, to get power. And so he, so he, then that was still a problem even in, in the new Testament time. Cause he told him, he said, abstain from, from meat, from meat to offer that sacrifice and, and strangled animals, that kind of stuff. That's what they were still doing. They were still eating the sacrifice of sacrifice to idols, that kind of stuff. And so here he said, don't eat the, don't eat the blood. You know, and I thought about, you know, my grandparents used to make blood sausage, you know, and you know, that's what, not even what it's talking about. It's talking about not worshiping God. It's always been about not worshiping God right. and worshiping something else. Right. Well, and again, we could move into Colossians chapter two. This will be when I come back. This will be the or Well, by the time this airs, I will be back. But uh, in Colossians chapter two, we're going to talk about that, where he says, don't let anyone judge you for what you eat. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're going we're to end into some of that where it's like, OK, because Christ is supreme and because we are in him now, we are free. We have this we have this freedom and we shouldn't let anyone yeah. judge us for these things. Yeah. And I've talked about over and over again, especially in my Wednesday night class. And they know the, the obligation that we have as brothers and sisters one to another, because we're going to have people who have difference of opinions on things. We're going to have people who have different standings of faith. My faith might let me do something that your faith wouldn't or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is then is that if I am restrained, I don't judge you. And if you're free, right, you don't trample over me. Why do we do that? Because we love one another. We, we care for one another, just as Christ loved and cared for us and died for mm -hmm. us. And so this is this is what Paul is talking about. And of course, in the now, just like in the first century, what you've got is you've got people running around demanding that everyone do everything this way or that way or or however, as per their proclivities oftentimes, rather than what is actually right yeah. in the book. Yeah. And so 
you know, it's it's really interesting how we view these things and how they affect us here in the new covenant. But I wanted to point that out because well, I've, I've heard another, that so many there's times. A text. I remember when I first became a Christian, I, I, I was very concerned because it says you can't eat any kind of fish without a scale on it. I said, oh my gosh, I've been eating catfish my whole life. I can't eat catfish. This law wasn't given to us, guys. Yeah. It was given to a group of people to help sustain them through a wandering in the wilderness. Well, but to be fair, this this prohibition <laughs> makes it in Acts 15. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah, it so does. this, it's fornication, it's meat sacrificed to idols, mm -hmm. it's the blood, and yeah. one other. Um, what's the other? There are four prohibitions in Acts 15 that they recommend. Fornication, don't eat the blood, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, I don't remember. I can't remember that fourth one, but there are but there are four stipulations there, and we certainly wouldn't throw out fornication, no. right? We wouldn't throw out, you know, maybe eat, 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 eating meat sacrificed to idols. So it's it's interesting to see that dynamic, how we're transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant, what sticks, what doesn't. It's yeah. really interesting to see how that plays out, and then even here, twenty centuries later. I mean, we're talking about 2,000 years later. Yeah. We're still trying to follow Christ. We're still trying to be his people. Mm. And how does that work? What does that mean? Well, when we start when we start arguing about whether we can eat the blood or not, we miss the point of what the text is about. Yeah, that's true. The text is about true. that God that God created life. Yeah. And he takes life to save life. That's what he does. That's what he does. And he tells us the same thing. He said, if you want to save your life, then you're going to lose it. Yeah. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll save your life. That's what he tells us. He said, that's a spiritual sense. If you want to lose your life, he said, if you if you want to save your life, then you're going to lose it. As if I'm going to save my life as I live it, then I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lose my spiritual life. And it's the same thing as what this is talking about. You know, the, the life is in the blood. Yeah. If you don't understand that and understand this is about our worship to God and our dependence on God and God saving us, it's not about the animals, it's not about the blood. Not what it's about. It's about something much deeper than that. And here he tells us, he said, the life's in the blood. Well, what in this text as well, although it gives me a, it gives me a, 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 a look at a, a scientific evidence that God wrote this book and knew more than we did for 2,000, 2,500 years. Yeah. And we just figured it out. Just three or 400 years ago, we figured out, oh my gosh, there's life in the blood. Yeah, yeah. And God told us 2,500 years before that. So I think we need to listen to him. It might be that God, you know, the creator of everything kind of knows something. It kind of knows some things. You might, you might think that. It's a, it's a shame that we won't, even let, we won't even let our kids read about it in school. We won't let them pray about it. We won't let them do any of that well, stuff. Well, and again, it's, it's not because, it's because of bias. Yeah. It's because of their, it's because yeah. people have this deep seated hatred for the implications of God. The idea that there, that there is in fact a creator that they will stand before one day and be judged. Mm -hmm. That idea is... I mean, it's anathema in today's society, but yeah. it's, it doesn't matter that it's anathema. It's true. And there's plenty of evidence for it. Yeah. Plenty of evidence. Well, we're going to get in chapter 18 next. Yep. You know what's in chapter 18? Uh, not off the top of my head, but by that look, I'm guessing it's something controversial. It's uh, about sexual sins. There you go. That's, that's, that's awfully, you know, it, it didn't used to be controversial. You know, maybe maybe five years ago it wasn't controversial. It now. But it's awfully controversial now. We're going to so get into it. We're going to get into it. Yeah. We're going to get into it. That's, That's right. right. Yep. 
Father in heaven, thank you for this class. Thank you for, for uh, all that you do for us. Help us have a great holiday. I know this will be aired after it all, it all happens, but we're going to pray that we have a great holiday time and, and a great time of Thanksgiving with our families. And bless us, Father, as we take this lesson and as we strive to understand that you really know what you're doing. And we need to give you the credit and the honor and the glory. That's in Jesus' name we pray.